The Start On Demand. On demand. Winter, when will you get lost? Environment Canada says we are not even close to being out of the woods yet when it comes to winter. North Dakota is predicting some flooding, so we'll get a scoop on what's happening down there. The third officer-involved shooting of 2019 has happened, and it's not even March. Should we be concerned? Jagmeet Singh is fighting for a seat in a B.C. by-election, and many are saying it's do or die for the leader of the NDP. It's NHL trade deadline day. A deal was made during our show. Kelly Moore with details on that. And we'll talk Oscars as Hollywood handed out the hardware on Sunday night. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Loren McNabb and Greg Mackling, who is back Tuesday after his trip to Las Vegas. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Monday, February 25th podcast for The Start. You may have gotten the notification yesterday on your phone that the extreme cold warning is back. And my reaction was beyond anger when I got that notification yesterday, McNabb. Yeah, yesterday was just, it was such a brutal day. The roads were awful. If anyone was trying to make their way around the province, there was just closures everywhere and blowing snow and all the rest. But it didn't occur to me that this extreme cold was going to linger. I thought it was a one-off because I'm done. Like, I'm stopped paying attention. Yep. And then I came in this morning and I was like, what? We're still under an extreme cold warning? And it gets worse. So here's Justin Share with Environment Canada on when it's going to get lost. Going to go away later today over uh, Winnipeg, at least. Uh, extreme colds will resurface again tonight for part of the province, uh, mainly towards West Van and still potential in parts of the Red River Valley as we do have an overnight low of around minus 29 tonight. So there is a chance it could uh, show up again over Winnipeg as well. And then we will start to warm up slightly uh, during the middle of the week. But unfortunately, it's going to cool right back down to uh, bring March in. I I think if you look at the Environment Canada map right now, there's wide swaths of the prairies in Manitoba that are in that dreaded red zone, which is, of course, the extreme cold. What does warm up mean to you? Because I want more. I, I need more than just a few degrees, Justin. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a significant warm up, if that's what you're looking for. We're not going to be getting to our climatological averages. Let's put it that way. But we'll be warming up to around highs around minus 15, minus 10 uh, for the midweek. That's what I meant by warming up. And then in the for the weekend, uh, the daytime highs will be a bit lower, minus 15 to minus 20. But the overnight lows that we'll see over the weekend are going to be dropping to the low minus 20s. So what should it be? You, you use the phrase the average. Like what, what should we be at this time of year? What we do have for a normal would be minus 6 for a daytime high and minus 16 for an overnight low. So we're not even seeing our overnight low averages for daytime highs for this uh, right now. Like it's colder during the day than it should be at night. Then it would average, yeah, then the climatological average would be at night for this time of year. Yep. But I mean, it's, it's also nothing unheard of for this time of year in February in Winnipeg. Um, It's been colder on this day. Uh, in 1950, I believe it was, uh, minus 34, I think was our record. So it's it's been colder than this, so it's nothing out of the ordinary in that sense. It's just definitely off the uh, trend of averages. Looking down the road, any like when is it going to warm up? How long, much longer do we have to put up with this? 
A bit more, uh, like I said. So we're going to get a mild warm-up midweek, and then kind of another cold front comes through for uh, to bring March in. And then it slowly eases up throughout the first couple uh, weeks of March. We're looking at daytime highs around minus 15 through the first couple weeks. And then uh looks like towards the second week of March, it, long-range models do have uh, warming trends happening. I mean, the sun's getting higher in the sky, getting warmer. It's just that time of year where we do start to get fooled that maybe spring is around the corner. Are, so, are we done with the snow yet? The cold sticking around for a bit. Is the snow, do we have more snow in the forecast? Uh, we've got a bit of snow, um, at least on the uh, in the forecast for this week. Nothing too significant for amounts. Uh, looks like we could get some, just a little chance of flurries uh, Tuesday as a little low pressure system kind of skiffs uh, south of the border from Montana into um, North Dakota and then Minnesota, but nothing significant for amounts. And then uh, later in the week, we may see a low pressure system come down from the north, but again, that wasn't going to be significant snowfalls. But as far as March, that is a time when we can get some large low pressure systems uh, dump quite a bit of snow into the area. That's what we've seen the past couple of years. I don't like anything you're saying. <laughs> yeah, well, it, that could happen. I'm saying it's happened in the past couple of years. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean. To, what we're seeing I'm just now, listening to you. Like you're just depressing me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Uh, I didn't mean to go there. That's not your fault. Yeah. I appreciate the uh, yeah, yeah. information and the reality check. And yeah, rude awakening on a Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just Justin. The messenger, just the messenger. Yeah, we won't kill yeah. the messenger. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> Justin share with Environment Canada and just looking at the long term forecast on the weather network they do their 14 day sort of trend and yeah we're not looking at above minus 10 until march 9th mm-hmm. minus eight on that day minus seven i mean that's gonna that forecast is gonna yeah. change a thousand times before we get there but. but we're colder during the day than our average nighttime low should be for this time of year so it is something like he, as he said you know we've had colder days than this and he went back to 1950 you know, so that doesn't make me feel better either. But then, of course, we're watching the snow. I mentioned off the top of the show how much snow we have in our yard. So uh, a lot of people thinking about what that's going to do for overland flooding or the flood forecast. So we'll chat about that at 745 with a flood forecaster out of the states where they're already predicting some troubles in uh, North Dakota. So I, uh, yeah, I look into my backyard and it's just, I feel like it's going to turn into a sea. Yeah. How much snow do you think you did think your husband put in there? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. There's on the deck. We've sort of just given up. So I would say there's like four feet of snow on the deck is what it feels like, and then it drifts so bad in our backyard. So it creates like a wall that's more like six or seven feet high. Oh my god! In the back part, but so it looks bad. Is it actually going to be that bad? I don't know. Then you say it's going to create a sea. Is that a a problem that you experience at your property? We don't. um, Like we've never had any issues. So knock on wood. But for sure, the backyard can be muddy and wet until early June, like, because it it's just sits in there so bad, and then it doesn't have a lot of places to go, right? So hopefully it doesn't go into the basement. That's what we're thinking. And then if you're closer to a river, you're thinking about river levels. But, I, but all that snow has me wondering about just that overland and backyard flooding for sure. Oscar goes to Green Book. <laughs> Academy Award nominations this year, winning three Oscars, actor.
director in a supporting role, original screenplay, and best picture. So, McNabb, how much of the Oscars <laughs> did you watch? The first hour. Yeah. So I got through the supporting actress and a couple of the cinematography awards and that kind of thing. And then I woke up this morning to read the news that Green Book had won and had no idea what film they were talking about. And that's the problem with the uh, the Oscars. Like, like you might have felt like, oh, maybe uh, maybe I should know that. But the thing with the Oscars is more often than not, most of the movies are not particularly well known. We did have some bona fide hits. Black Panther, of mm-hmm. course, was the biggest movie of 2018, and it was nominated for Best Picture. A Star Is Born was a genuine hit. Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. and I saw those. Yeah, was it? That was a genuine hit. Black Klansman, to an extent, was somewhat of a hit. Green Book did very well as well, but. Yeah, there were a lot of people, I'm sure, who are wondering, hmm, what's this? Now, I had said an hour ago that it still wouldn't make me go out and see it, and then I had a listener text in and said that I would have zero regrets that I would love it. So I'm 10% more moved to go watch it. I'm <laughs> 10% more moved <laughs> to watch it. My, I, I, The last couple of years, I'll be honest, I, I don't go out of my way to watch these award shows anymore because I always find them to be kind of a slog. The Oscars in particular, because you never know how long it's going to go. Is it going to be three and a half hours? Is it going to be four hours, four and a half hours? It often pushes the four hour boundary. And especially for us having to get up as mm-hmm. early as we do, it's rolling the dice. So it started at seven and you were in bed by like it was done. What time? I, I think it I wrapped up at 10, 17. Okay. If memory serves. So I was three, in bed by three 10, and a bit, 30. Three and change. Yeah. So I was in bed by 10, 30. And that was actually a pretty, for it, for an Oscars, that's a quick show mm-hmm. because they have a lot of awards to give out. I think 24 awards get handed out during the broadcast. And I was mainly curious to watch it to see how it played out without a host. And it started with Queen, led by Adam Lambert as the vocalist. And I thought, hey, that's a solid way. If you don't have a host to do a monologue, what do you do? I figured it would be a musical number of some sort, but I didn't put it together that opening with Queen would be a great way to start because of the Bohemian Rhapsody connection. So that was cool. And then I just thought it went at a nice blistering pace. The first presenters were Maya Rudolph, Tina Fey, and Amy Poehler. See, when they came out, I thought, oh, maybe this is a surprise, like they're going to stick around. because, And they made me genuinely laugh for the minute that they were up there, but then they were gone too. Yeah, they were very funny. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a strong way in terms of presenters. And they they just kept, I thought the pace of the show was great. But then there was that makeup and hairstyling, just an awful speech. And just as a recap of, there was a situation where the Oscars were going to pull four of the awards from the live broadcast and hand them out sort of during the commercials and it was cinematography editing makeup and hairstyling and uh, there was like best animated short or something like that and uh, they decided against that hang on a second it was i'm just trying to cinematography film editing live action short and makeup and hairstyling so they put them back in vice was the movie that won for makeup and hairstyling and then this is the speech that was delivered, that did not make a case to keep this award in the live broadcast. Uh, Thank you, Anna Perna, our great director, Adam McKay, uh, Christian Bale, what a... Oh, you're here. (laughs) Go ahead. That's you. Who's going to read that? No, I already did. Oh, Uh, plan plan B, Gary Sanchez. (laughs) The voting academy members and our 
fellow nominees from the UK. That's it. I just, I can't take it anymore. Well, there was a few of them up there, and uh, they came with this speech. Like She had it written down, so I had said that it is, I get it, it's challenging. If, you, if more than one person is up there trying to get their two cents in, that's a hard way to divide that up. But you think those conversations happen beforehand. We're going to go up. I'll talk for 10 seconds. I'll thank these people. You thank those people. We'll wrap it up. They had it written down. Mm-hmm. And it's and I get it. You're nervous and you're 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 doing makeup and hairstyling. You're not the person who's used to being in front of the camera. I totally get that. But that's when I almost just turned it off and said, I don't even have and that was 720 or something like that. Like yeah. I was done. It was one of the first awards of yes. the night. It was awful. So that's the the problem, right? Like I like to see those awards get handed out during the broadcast, uh, especially cinematography sure. and editing. And they deserve though. Like they deserve the public shout out just as much as anybody else. Like it's not like I, I didn't agree with the limit those speeches from the performance but then you were you got this chance to prove why you deserve to be there and you didn't yeah it maybe it was the worst speech i've ever seen at an oscars ceremony also spike lee is angry when green book won best picture spike lee could actually be seen sort of walking towards the back of the auditorium like he was walking out and backstage afterwards while he had a glass of champagne in his hand he did win an Oscar. He won a writing award uh, for Black Klansman. He did not win for Best Director, but he, it was his first Oscar win, and he was very excited. But this is what he had to say backstage. You mentioned do the right thing in your speech and with your accessories today. So does this make up for do the right thing not winning the Oscar for you right now? I'm a snake bit. I mean, every time somebody's driving somebody, I lose. <laughs> but they, they, they changed the seated arrangement. We're going to go over to 180. And <laughs> yeah, so he wasn't happy. So he's referencing there the fact that the last time he was up for an Oscar for Best Director, he lost to Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah, that was in, uh, well, in 1989, I don't think he was, he didn't get nominated. Uh, and in this one, he did. Like, Lee's Do the Right Thing, the the, the movie was nominated, uh, but it lost to Driving Miss Daisy in 1990. Right. And in this case, Green Book was about a white man driving a black pianist around the deep south in the United States. So I guess he felt like he got Driving Miss Daisied again. But still cool to see him win an Oscar, although his speech was kind of weird. I was hoping more for an emotional sort of from the heart kind of speech. And he certainly was emotional. But he, I felt like he was kind of all over the map. And I also wanted to ask you something, McNabb. In the pre-show, it was on E! where they do their dumb red carpet interviews. I just You said it earlier today, you can't stand those interviews. I can't stand them as well. I, the, and I still find myself watching them, but they're cringeworthy for sure. The woman who was interviewing Bradley Cooper, she was based, I think she was fawning over him because she was tripping over herself trying to ask this question, which ended up being super long-winded. And she was probably nervous, too, talking to all the big stars. But at the end of it, when they went back to the main panel with the host, the host says, Bye, Bradley. Did you did you slip Bradley my phone number? It was just a throwaway joke. I have no problem with it. I thought it was funny. I thought it was cute. But it kind of just got me thinking, if a male host mm-hmm. were to say something like that about a woman, do you think they're... It would be just a throwaway joke. It kind of depends who said it and who it was said to and the tone and all the rest. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. That there seems to be a double standard sometimes with those sorts of things. And I think that's a fair 
commentary. I I I don't want to go too far down it because it sort of gets to this point where, like, what are you allowed to say and have exactly. fun with? And it is an award show, and it, there's a whole section about outfits and what you wear and all the rest, right? So it is so much about appearance and all those kinds of things, which already puts it in a different category. But you're right. If it, the odds are, if a man had said, did you slip her my number, somebody would have said something about that. Yeah, that it would be creepy. Right. And again, I have I have no problem with the comment. I thought it was funny. Uh, I, I've often said Bradley Cooper, guy's a jerk. He's handsome. He can sing. He yeah. can play guitar. Yeah. He can direct. He can act. He's funny. He's dramatic. I mean, my God, he's got a uh, beautiful fiance. Now maybe he's, something's going on with Lady Gaga because she left her fiance. Mm-hmm. And it's rumored that Bradley Cooper might be in the mix you fell down a bit of a rabbit oh, hole oh i got distracted because well, you mentioned that this morning and i was like hang on he's got his whole he's got his own partner i think she's they share a child together so i was just trying to figure out what all those rumors were about but no i hear you on the commentary thing i think we have to be careful with stuff like that if we're going to get mad at one we have to get mad at the other or maybe just revisit the idea of what we're mad about in the first place Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mackling is back tomorrow. Loren McNabb, are you sick of winter yet? Yes. Yeah, I am. And I've been sick of it, though, for a while. But today, with the extreme cold warning, yesterday, more snow, all the shoveling, I'm done. So we've been talking about the cold sticking around, but now we're kind of taking a look at March, which we know often brings more snow, Mm. because that could add to our flood risk this spring. Manitoba's forecasters are still going through the, the data, but we're expecting a flood outlook sometime this week. South of the border, forecasters have already issued a first warning with the National Weather Service telling North Dakota residents, particularly those around the Red River and Grand Forks and Fargo, that there's a 95% chance they could see some flooding in April and May. Greg Gust is the warning coordination meteorologist in Grand Forks with the National Weather Service and joins us on the phone this morning. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Well, we know we've had a record amount of snow here in Winnipeg for February, at least. I, is it the same thing going on in North Dakota and Grand Forks and Fargo? Oh, you did set your record. Good. Well, we're, we're, on, <laughs> we're on. We're on. We're on. I apologize. We're on pace for it. I don't know if we've actually set it, but it's coming in close. I think so. Yeah, there's been a lot of snow in February, and, I, and I'm I'm going to have to guess you're dealing with the same thing. We are, and uh, Grand Forks did crack their record. Fargo. Broke theirs over this past weekend, too. And, of course, all the way down to the Twin Cities uh, set their record earlier as well. So, so yeah, this is a, it's, a, it's a February record, though. Remember that February is typically one of our drier months of the year, too. So uh, doubling your, your regular February precipitation is not still that much in the overall bucket. You don't want to double March. March is, is a month when you start to get in the, the heavier, wetter snows and into early April. And if you don't want to start doubling up on that type of snowfall, that's for sure. So what are we talking about here for the warning? I know we watch this very carefully this time of year, and we always put that caveat that, you know, things could change if we have a slow melt. But what's the additional worry here? Is the frost, the deep frost, adding to that when it comes to what you're watching for south of the border? Well, it is. Of course, we've got a deep frost in. Uh, We also had a bit of precipitation late last fall that kind of wet things down a bit before the snow started. So we had been quite dry leading up to that, especially in the Grand Forks area and points north. Uh, Fargo had been getting a fairly decent amount of summertime precipitation, but nothing that was over wet. But then as we got into September and October, uh, the early October snowfall that we got all here melted in that uh, again, just puts a wet layer on top of the ground, so that increases the risk of runoff. 
the actual water that's in the snowpack now is enough to fill up some fields and ditch rows and, and this type of thing along the country roads. It's, uh, it's enough to get a widespread runoff that is going to cause some problems in rural areas, but not, not big. It's not huge runoff at this point. And then it's enough to start getting into the rivers and bring things up into that what we call the high, moderate, and, and low end of major flood stage. Well, at that point, when you start bringing it right into the Red Channel, uh, all the cities up the line from Wapaton, Fargo, Grand Forks, and up that have any type of flood protection in, they're going to be at the point where they have to start looking at where the f- stop logs are to plug the gaps and those type of things because they're going to be right up at that level where they have to start deciding if they're going to put it in. And that could mean, you know, a few br- uh, if there's bridge access and that type of things that, that we could have uh, a few of those blocked off. So that starts to affect transportation. It's not, it's not at the level that you're going to see, uh, you know, a 97, a 2009, 2011. It's not those type of levels. But right now the snowpack is similar to what we had in 1999 and 2006, some of those years where, um, where you're going to get a fair amount of runoff. And if you get trouble in March, uh, you know, watch out. So we have to look at March. I called it March Madness because... A big march, a big wet snow, a lot of wet, heavy snow, and and any rain in there could cause us some serious trouble. Greg Gust is a warning coordination meteorologist with the National Weather Service in the U.S. Joining us live on the start. Greg, thank you for the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, and we'll try to warm it up because that, that's not doing us any well either, any good either. We have to get some warm air in here. Well, not too fast, as you already said. Nice, gentle, nice, a, gentle thaw. A gentle thaw. Greg, Greg, thank you very much, Greg. Thank you very much, Greg. We appreciate the time. Yeah, gentle thought would be good. So there are very few new details out this morning about an officer-involved shooting that left one man dead over the weekend. That shooting happened early Saturday morning on Colony Street in the West Broadway neighborhood. We don't know what brought officers to that area or what happened in the moments leading up to the shooting. But what we do know is that the police watchdog, the independent investigation unit, is now involved. And this is the third time they've been called in to an officer-involved shooting this year. And so we kind of wanted to dissect that further this morning and to... Help us do that. We're joined by University of Winnipeg criminal justice professor Michael Weinrath. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. So we're on our third officer-involved shooting in less than two months in Winnipeg. Is this something the public should be concerned about? Yeah, well, when you get violence like this, eh, it's often sort of episodic. And, uh, like, sometimes you'll have three or four homicides in a month, and then you'll go months without. Uh, so I would uh, say it's pretty early to, uh, you know, be uh, really concerned that it's going to be a big trend. We were talking about, you used, you just used the word trend. I know in 2016, I think we had just one officer-involved shooting, or a police officer just fired their gun once. And we had a few more of those last year. So technically speaking, are they relatively rare, or are we going to start thinking we need to watch for a possible trend here? Well, I mean, I think shootings are, are relatively uh, rare, uh, particularly up in uh, Canada. And, you know, you have to think eh, that there's a lot of uh, disincentives uh, for police to use their uh, firearms. They have a, a continuum of force protocol that they're supposed to go through, uh, right, that they um, uh, try to discourage people from uh, acting out or running away <clears throat> simply by their presence. Uh, they'll use voice commands uh, if the person is not armed, 
And again, if there's uh, you know enough officers to do so safely, they'll uh, uh, take a person out physically uh, or use a taser or, or pepper spray or some chemical agent. Now, you use lethal force when you're a police officer only when you think uh, yourself or someone else is in danger. Uh, having said that, you know when I used to work in corrections, uh, we had a saying: uh, you don't get paid to get hurt. And uh, certainly, uh, uh, you know, there are situations where police do have to use their, uh, their firearms. Well, and I've gone through that use of force training, and indeed they have to go through a whole grocery list of steps before they get to the point where the gun is drawn. Now, in these situations, does, is this just a reflection that maybe there's more guns on the street, period? Well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, we want to probably get more details on some of these situations. Uh, but often, you know, uh, people will be coming at uh, police uh, with knives. And uh, if you look at a lot of uh, stabbing-related deaths, I mean, often they happen quickly, right? It's like one uh, cut to a particular part of your body, and uh, and that's it. So, uh, But again, you have to feel for the, the police in these situations. Uh, sometimes people forget. I mean, there's just the trauma uh, of that sort of uh, violence. Uh, you know, typically these things are investigated. Um, and again, I think that they should be. I mean, I think police have to be accountable. But having said that, it's, it's a pretty difficult situation. Uh, someone is uh, injured or dead. Uh, your organization is investigating you. The IIU is investigating you. So for police officers, yep, sometimes they, uh, they have to use their firearm. But, uh, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a tough situation when you, uh, you do have to uh, use the firearm and someone gets hurt. And yep. we could learn more in the weeks and months ahead. The IIU investigating, as you mentioned, this third officer-involved shooting. Two men have died in Winnipeg after officer-involved shootings in 2019. Thank you very much, Michael. This is, we're speaking to Michael Weinrath, Winnipeg criminal justice professor at the U of W. Couch Potatoes had the thrill of a lifetime over the weekend at the Centennial Concert Hall with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Star Wars versus Star Trek. And I realize some will say this isn't even a conversation because Star Trek is science fiction and Star Wars is more of a space fantasy. I know neither of those things. So there you go. Yeah. I would have said it was a full on battle. Well, and that was how we positioned it. And there were people, like, it was fun to see the division in the crowd because at the beginning of the show, we would say, by applause, who's here for Star Trek? And there'd be a, a decent applause. And then who's here for Star Wars? Star Wars did have more supporters in the audience. But, like, a lot, I like both Star Wars and Star Trek. I'm a Star Wars guy, but that doesn't mean I don't like Star Trek. I've just watched Star Wars a thousand times. Whereas with Star Trek, I'm not super familiar with that because there's so much content in Star Trek, right? There, there are a whole bunch of TV series, mm-hmm. and I just I'll, I'll never be able to catch up in all the Star Trek that's out there. But it was cool, and we so they the symphony put together this amazing program of music. They opened with the theme for Star Trek, and they had the couch potatoes do a voiceover. So Jeff and I did oh, the nice. space a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Space, the final frontier. So as we're standing backstage, hearing our voice over the speakers. Uh, Jeff and I, we just felt dumb about the whole thing. Like, we we don't ever, we rarely get out of the studio, right? Like, I'm not a field reporter. Like, you've been all over the place, McNabb, so going out into the field, I'm sure, is nothing for you. Although, what about public speaking? What do you think of that? When you Would you want to get out on stage at the concert hall 
I do done? it. I would absolutely do it. Yeah. And I've done a lot of public speaking, but I think you said there was 2,000 people. Yeah, I think the, the, it holds around 2,000 yeah. or 2,500 people. So No, I've never done it in front of that many. And, and I have done a ton of public speaking, and no matter how many times, I will tell you, I shake. Like, my hands will shake, and people will tell me afterwards, oh, I can see your hands shaking in the beginning. Like, it's very nerve-wracking. Yeah, so it was nerve-wracking, and I asked Jeff about that because... I have mostly gotten over my fear of public speaking. Jeff, on the other hand, he was a little bit more nervous than I was. So I asked him after the show, what was it like being on stage at the concert hall? It helped that they actually gave us literally a couch to sit on. (laughs) It was very relaxing. I I highly recommend if you can somehow swing away to watch a symphony orchestra live in person while sitting on a couch, do that. Yeah, they put us on a couch on the stage at the right beside the orchestra like within arm's reach of the orchestra they they put out potato chips and cans of pop what kind of chips uh the first day was sour cream and onion nice. and uh i think barbecue and then the second day was well, there was all dressed in no it was all dressed in ketchup i think yesterday and the day before it was like loads of jalapeno pop i would never have combined those previously with the symphony yeah. i like it well, and so, we, but there was one point where we were trying to open the chips just as they were going into a quiet song. So Julian Pelicano, the conductor, had to wrap his baton to tell us to knock it off. <laughs> uh, so it was good. And we asked Julian as well. Like for us, it was a huge thrill, such an honor and privilege. Uh, but for Julian Pelicano, resident conductor of the WSO, was it just another weekend on the job? Well, I mean, uh, we do so many uh, different kinds of concerts here, and I, I conduct a lot here in Winnipeg with the Winnipeg Symphony, but uh, this one was special, I have to say. Out of all the, I mean, I've been con- conducting the Pops now, this is my sixth season, and this is one of the most memorable concerts I've conducted here with the Winnipeg Symphony in my time. So, uh, you know, that's a, out of a few hundred concerts that I've done. Probably about 700 or something. The members of the orchestra, many of them were in costume. Is that something you've ever seen? Uh, actually, you know, I have to say, our orchestra is pretty pretty game for those sorts of things. I remember doing a Halloween show here once for kids, and uh, the the double bass section carried our principal horn out in a uh, in a in a bass flight case like it was a coffin, <laughs> and she got out and she was she was a. Uh, She's like a zombie or something. It was amazing. So they're they're cool with that, and they go all out. They love this kind of stuff. And this was a real production too. Like uh, the second half, or the second half of the show started with Julian trying to find his baton, couldn't find his baton, and out comes R two D two with oh, the baton awesome. sticking out of his head. A guy named Rick Strickland has built, spent the last seven years building this. R2-D2 droid that works by remote control, and he has like a little soundboard on the bottom of the remote, so it makes all the R2-D2 noises. Uh, So this was a huge production. The Costume Alliance was there. They were all in their various Star Wars and Star Trek uh, regalia. So this was, it was a magical weekend for us. You know, I said to the symphony at the end of the show, like, you guys aren't just playing music. You're bringing joy and light and inspiration and beauty into the world, and it was just such a neat experience for us to be sitting right there as they performed all of these songs that we know so well from the movies. And now if they listen to Jeff Braun, if they threw in a few more couches, you know, might even get even more of us out there. I like, I love going to the symphony. Yeah. But if you threw in a couch, I'd be in there five times as much. I'm going to see Harry Potter <laughs> and the Prisoner of Azkaban in two weeks. What are you going to do now if you don't have your couch and chips? I know. I dare you to pull out chips at that. <laughs> have them be like, Brett, it was a one-time thing. <laughs> we, we let it go that once, but get out of here. Right now we're going to hear about 
Whether or not it's do or die for Jagmeet Singh. Yeah, his political fate, and some argue that the fate of the NDP is sort of up in the air because he is currently the leader of the federal NDP, but he's looking for a seat in the House of Commons, and that by-election in Burnaby South goes today. We'll know later tonight whether or not he won that seat, and if he doesn't, boy, there'll be a lot of conversations after that about what that means for the party and even the federal election in October. And to just dissect this further, we're joined by Christopher Adams, who's a political analyst and author with the University of Manitoba. Good morning, Christopher. Hi, Loren. How are you? We're well, thank you. So is this <laughs> are the stakes really that high tonight for Jagmeet Singh? Yes, yes, the stakes are quite high. And it's, you know, it's quite astonishing to see a by-election which uh, receives so much attention. And there are a lot of things spinning around on this. Uh, one of them is, is, you know, the Liberal candidate, Richard Lee, very prominent MLA from uh, uh, who had sat in the provincial legislature for for a number of years, and he was the second candidate for the Liberals. The first one was Karen Wang, who who withdrew from the race after sort of raising uh, issues regarding ethnicity on social media. So the Liberals have had sort of a, a bumpy ride to the polls, but they've got a very prominent candidate. And then Maxine Bernier has has a candidate in in the race, but uh, no one thinks that that person will will win. And then we've got the Greens not running. So um, it means that, that the, the soft left vote will will have to go towards the Liberals or the NDP. And then, of course, we've got the SNC-Lavalin case going on in the background. And so uh, the question is, does that affect the Liberal vote in this? So there are a lot of uh, wheels turning within wheels for Jagmeet Singh uh, tonight. What are his chances, do you think? I think, you know, uh, uh, you know a couple of weeks ago, I, I would have been... Uh, doubtful, but I, I think things are are looking better for him. I mean, the fact of the the Lavalin case is, and uh, of course that's Jody Wilson Reibold, the Justice Minister stepping down from cabinet. Uh, the the kind of is a is a problem for the Liberal Party brand and for Justin Trudeau. So that's going to affect you know people who are who are thinking the Liberals had represented you know they're thinking about Indigenous issues and and uh, and gender, and so. That that's going to affect it, but also the the premier John Horgan, who, as you know, is the NDP leader of the NDP government in in uh, British Columbia. He stepped forward and supports Jagmeet Singh. So there's, I think there's a bit of a rallying of the troops around around the the NDP federal leader right now. It's not just about the leader that we're watching. If he doesn't win tonight, this might speak more to about the issue with the NDP under his leadership. Reading this morning that it's. Popularity has plunged to its lowest in the public opinion polls since 2000, when they won just 13. That's true. So it's they're in tough, and we've it is an election year. So it's not just about him securing his first seat. It's about you know is this a party that can help even split that left vote heading into October? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and uh, you know if you look at the national polls, or, and and if you look at the polls as they relate to British Columbia specifically. Uh, the, the NDP is, you know, hovering between 20 and 30 percent in in the province there. Uh, you know, federally speaking, you know, we've got six months to go until the next federal election. If Jagmeet Singh does not uh, pull off a victory, there's going to be some serious questions in the federal NDP caucus as to whether he can stay on. It's very doubtful that he could stay on. But then you've got the NDP not with a whole lot of money to to run a new uh, leadership convention. So there'd be some sort of interim leader. So uh, it's really quite critical, I think, for the party to to um, elect their leader tonight. And if they don't, then then it, um, it throws their their, uh, um, their their federal caucus into some 
some disarray. Now, there are some people in the uh, NDP who, in a way, are, are hoping that Singh uh, gets defeated tonight because then they can put somebody in who would uh, who they might prefer, like somebody like a Nathan Cullen. Well, what is it with Jagmeet Singh? You know, as many say, his performance has been underwhelming since being chosen leader almost 18 months ago. So what is it that some within the party are unhappy with when it comes to Singh? Well, you know, it, uh, if you think, compare him to Mulcair, who was seen as a, as a brilliant, and I'm not partisan, but he was a, he was a brilliant uh, performer in the House of Commons. And then you compare uh, previously to Jack Layton. So they uh, so that he, he he's taken over the helm after two very uh, um, very prominent leaders who who had their own styles, but also were quite capable in what they're doing. So that's difficult. But also he's uh, you know he came out of the Queen's Park, that is the the Ontario provincial legislature, and he was seen as a charismatic, very dynamic um, MPP, is what they called him in, in Ontario. And so, but he hasn't really been able to translate his charisma and his um, his successes that were at the Ontario level up into the federal. And I think, in large part, that's that's related to um, not being not having a seat in the uh, parliament. But also, I, I think you know um, you know all the issues of ethnicity too. Is I, I think there are some people who who might have. Um, you know, might not be uh, um, who, who much like Obama. There are people who might not be ready for a, a black president. There might be people who aren't ready for a, a Sikh uh, um, leader of the party. So I think there are some things that people aren't talking about that that um, are a problem for Singh. But his charisma, his capabilities in the provincial parliament or the provincial legislature uh, should offset that. Well, and regardless of whether or not he gets a seat, I mean, what would it take for the NDP to be more of a player? Because it always ends up being whether it ends up being the Conservatives or the Liberals, essentially, every time we go to the polls. Yeah, you know, the the thing going back decades and decades is is the claim that if you vote for the NDP, it's a wasted vote. And in many ways, Jack Layton kind of overrode that. But the, the problem the NDP has is that they are the third most popular party traditionally, and people, when they get to the poll to, on an election day, they say, um, wh- who do I want to be as my prime minister and my governing party? And so the NDP is always doing an uphill battle, and in part, it's the rules of the game, that is, that, that uh, it's within each seat, and uh, we don't have proportional representation. If we had electoral reform, I think we would see an NDP with more ability to, to take more seats. But the, the 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 real success for Justin Trudeau in 2015 was he was able to bring the party over to the center left, and and it took the oxygen out of the out of the NDP at the time. And uh, Trudeau wants to do that again this this round. All right, we're talking to Christopher Adams, a professor at the University of Manitoba, Department of Politics, has written several books on politics in Canada. Thank you so much for your time, Christopher. Thanks, Lauren. Have a great uh, day and stay warm. I don't, I don't know if we ever talked about by-election. Normally, by-elections don't uh, register very high, but this is a pretty big one to watch, so it'll be interesting tonight. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the, the leader of a party is involved, it makes it a lot sexier. And I'm curious to know as well if people will just vote for him simply because 
he's a leader, right? right? I mean, you've got if you look at everyone on the ballot, it's not to take away from anyone who is running, but when you just see, oh, this is a party leader, like as someone in that particular riding, that's got to add a, a little bit of excitement. It's a fight. It. We had that fight here in Manitoba for years with the Liberal Party with uh, Rana Bakari trying to get a seat and, and never got it. And then finally, Dougal Lamont finally won his seat as leader. But we've had leaders before provincially as well who just can't get that seat but run the party. It's a, it's a bizarre position to be in. Thank you very much, Tristan Field-Jones, Mackling, McGarry, McNabb. Mackling is back tomorrow, but we do have another M in studio with us. Kelly Moore is here with some news on NHL trade deadline. That's right. Uh, The deadline expires at 2, and the Winnipeg Jets have become participants. It has yet to be confirmed by the hockey club, uh, but it's one of those uh, not going to tell you you're right, not going to tell you you're wrong responses. Uh, When I was asked about it, uh, Kevin Hayes, who's a setter from the New York Rangers, has been acquired for the Winnipeg Jets 2019 first-round pick, which surprises me a little bit, but uh, everybody else uh, seemed to think that the Jets were willing to part with that pick, so they knew a lot more than I did, uh, as well as Brendan Lemieux. And uh, still waiting to get confirmation on the rest of that deal. I'm hearing from other sources, uh, including John Shannon of Sportsnet, that there's a conditional pick involved there. But I've not been able to get that confirmed from the Jets. But uh, I think you can uh, be pretty confident that Kevin Hayes is now a Winnipeg Jet and could be in the lineup as early as tomorrow night against Minnesota. I'm trying to just look at his record now. A decent season. He's played 50 games, 14 goals, 42 points altogether. So uh, where would you rate this as acquisitions? Is this the kind of player you thought they were going after, Kelly? Yeah, they've been been linked to Kevin Hayes for uh, quite some time. It Just, again, not knowing what the injury status is of Josh Morrissey, or how long Dustin Bufflin is going to be out. I thought that they might have to switch priorities, but they've been locked pretty much into uh, adding a top six forward, and Mark Stone and Wayne Simmons were the other names out there. Uh, The Jets' salary cap space is a bit of an issue now when it comes to Stone and Simmons, especially with the addition of Kevin Hayes. I have to wait for more details to find out if the Jets are absorbing all of his salary. Uh, So, you know, that would certainly impact on what they can do for the rest of the day as far as an impact player is concerned, but that doesn't mean that they still can't make some moves. So you think this this isn't it yet? Oh, well, I don't, I, I, again, we won't know about Josh Morrissey at least until tomorrow. The team's not skating today, so there's no availability from that perspective. Uh, but by the moves they make before two o'clock, that will tell us what How the situation is with yeah. Morrissey and Buffalo. Yeah. I got a text message here, Kelly, from somebody saying, This is BS. What a mistake trading Lemieux. What's your reaction to that? Well, I guess whenever there is change, you are going to have some people who disagree with it. But if you're looking at the Winnipeg Jets taking a run at winning the Stanley Cup, I will say this. In the short term, Kevin Hayes gives them a better chance to do that than Brendan Lemieux does. So that's how I would answer that text. All right, Kelly Moore, thank you very much, sir, for the update on this NHL trade deadline day. And uh, the same listener also asking, uh, is Hayes Canadian or American? He's Just American. out of curiosity. Yeah. And indeed, he's from Boston, Massachusetts. He's listed as Kevin Patrick Hayes is an American professional ice hockey center currently. Play- I love that it says ice hockey on the internets.
I like to joke and call it ice hockey. Well, I guess they want to be specific and not feel we didn't inquire a field hockey player. Yeah. Road hockey, a road hockey center. Oh, yeah, ball hockey. Well, so, in case you dismissed it, we're still waiting for confirmation from the Jets. Kevin Hayes potentially coming from the New York Rangers uh, in a trade for Brendan Lemieux of the Jets. Question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. Should the Winnipeg Jets make a big move today before the NHL trade deadline? The options at cjob.com. Yes, they are stumbling and need help. So far, 57% of the vote is leaning that way, while 43% say no, just stay the course. Now, looking at this poll on Facebook, uh, the majority voting yes, they need help. And then on Twitter, uh, 76% say yes, they need help. 25% saying no, just stay the course. So you can weigh in on the poll at cjob.com on Twitter or on Facebook as well. If you're a disgruntled Jets fan right now or you're waiting to see if they make any big moves, do we have time to play that audio of the dad who mic'd up his kid just to give you some cute hockey? Sure. If we can do this now. I, I just wanted to do it quickly because I have kids, uh, two young boys, and when they were younger and they used to join the Timbits League, mm-hmm. you'd... You would sometimes honestly wonder, like, what are they doing out there? What are they thinking? And there was one season, one of my kids just was so fascinated with the lights. Like, he'd lay on his back and just stare up the lights. And you'd ask him how the game went, and he'd be like, I don't know, but the lights are so pretty. Like, that was his, you know, because he's just in a rank having a good time with his friends. So this dad, over the weekend, I think it was in Ontario, mic'd up his four-year-old who plays for the Timbits. And here's some of the audio from that. One, two. Okay, it's okay. Ow. I gotta have a nap. Okay, okay. Okay, whoa! Ow. Okay. Fast as I can. Are we gonna go to McDonald's after? Yeah, we're gonna go to McDonald's after. Okay. Okay, here. Aiden! 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 What exactly is happening in there? I can't make out a word this kid is saying. This kid is so cute. So he's walking around, he's skating around. First he falls, then he says, uh, I think I'm going to have a nap. Well, he laid there on the ice. And then as he falls, and he's, you know, he's obviously had his parents say this to him over and over again. I'm okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Get up. You're okay. I'm okay. Then he goes over and asks his dad if he can go to Badonald's, not McDonald's, Badonald's. <laughs> and then he's he's a little slower. He's not the quickest one. He's four. And so he's trying to catch up to one of his buddies. And so he's just like, Hayden, 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 Hayden. No one wants to skate with me. Oh, my God. But, but he just can't catch up to the kid. It is exactly what I think now all four-year-olds are feeling when they're playing any sport, you know, just talking to themselves and trying to trying to be as good as they can. It's the sweetest thing. If you get a chance, it's at globalnews.ca, and I I died this weekend. If you're, if you're a parent who's had any kid in hockey, odds are your kid has been thinking these exact thoughts. This reminds me, I remember playing baseball, and our right fielder, ran off of the field during a play to holler at his parents because the ice cream cart was rolling past. <laughs> exactly. And he asked if he could get some ice cream. But here's the thing. We weren't four years old. Oh, dear. We were like 11 or 12. That's different. At this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, Like the kids when they're in Timbit's age or squirts, as we call it, where we are, they're at that, they're, they still look look up to you, like to see if you saw whatever they just did. So you have to, they're always like, you're never paying any attention to me. And it's like, <laughs> well, you're not really, you're not really doing anything. Like when they're 
they're four. They're just skating around in circles, waving. There was a kid at the <laughs> rink a couple weeks ago who just kept going up to the uh, plexiglass, and he had to be about five. And he was kicking the boards. He's like, Mom, Mom. And then he would make the shivering symbol. Like, yeah. Instead of just yelling, I'm cold. And she's like, keep going, buddy. You got to keep going. But like, they're just... It's hilarious. Wow. It's, if you ever need entertainment, you should just go watch a four-year-old do anything, basically. Yeah? Yeah. Because, like, they're doing they're, they're doing exactly what they're thinking in that moment. I'm going to lay soccer? down. Yeah, oh, yeah. Soccer's even better. It's like bees. A swarm of bees just running after that ball. And then always in one end, there's a kid who's, like, totally oblivious to what's happening. They're picking daisies or, like, braiding their friend's hair. It's the best. <laughs> It really is. It just makes you wish you could be in the moment a bit more like that. <laughs> Jeff Courier is on from 10 until 1. Hal Anderson afternoons, 1 to 4. The news from 4 to 7. And then the sports show from 7 to 9. Jeff Courier, thank you very much. Before you, you, before you go, Jeff, maybe, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this piece of audio here. We were remarking during the 9.30 news, Clay Young went out into the field to do some reporting. The guy's just a natural newsman. He's always got his recorder with him. Well, whenever I think of Clay and his recorder, I, I go back to the, I think it was around the summer of 2012. He played a clip on the air. He was at a Cinnaboyne Park, and he interviewed a cat. Oh. Have you ever heard this tape, Jeff? <laughs> no. Yeah. no. Well, Loren is not. No, no, Jay, have you heard it? I have not heard it. Okay, well, here it is. This is a blast from Clay Young Past. I noticed that uh, you're you're walking your cat. People walk dogs. You're walking a cat. A traveler usually walks me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and the cat actually will sit when you tell them. Yeah, he does, and shakes paw too. <laughs> does he? Does he actually want to get on CGOB? Hello, traveler. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> That is gold. So, he, traveler, he or she uh, responded. That's interesting. That's a loud cat. Yeah, a very vocal cat. You ever interviewed uh, an animal? Oh, I'm sure I jokingly put a mic in some well, animal's no, face. My, but One of my, my dog that I had when I moved here to Winnipeg, the late Harry Taylor, was on Peter Warren's last show. Come on. I'm not kidding. Peter came out into the newsroom because Harry used to come to work with me, and he was kind of the station dog. And uh, Peter came out in the newsroom. He said, can you get Harry to talk? I said, yeah, of course I can. And so we brought Harry on the air, and Harry went, rawr, 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 to, the, <laughs> to, 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 to all the folks. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Harry was on Peter's last show. Oh, that's so, tremendous. Yeah, he was one of the greats. Jeff After, both Harry and Peter. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.